it's wonderful to see everybody today. And here we are back in sunny Fort Worth. I have to tell you, I visited my parents in Michigan last weekend, and when I got off the plane a couple days ago to come home, I was like, it's exactly like it was when I left five days ago, like it's been for two weeks. And then there's this verse in here about God enduring as long as the sun endures. So I've been a little nervous, but anyway. (laughs) So glad you're here. Love everybody that shares their praises. It's so awesome. Uh, We are continuing to shout to the Lord, and Psalm 72 is very specific about what we are to be shouting about. And as I worked on this and thought about it a lot, I began to continually go back to the Lord's Prayer that he taught his disciples in Matthew 6. And we had studied that a couple years ago, and there was a line in it that really struck me when God tells the disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I think it struck me because I really wasn't doing that. I think I was so caught up in my own world that I was not getting into God's world. And God's world are the purposes, the promises, the plans for mankind that he put into motion from the very beginning of time. And so I, I began to, over the last couple of years, bring that line of prayer into my prayers. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And my world gets a lot bigger when I do that. Because I begin to think about the future and I think about the reign of Christ. And then I also think about the present. Thy will be done on earth. And I begin to think about the work he's doing and the part that we all need to play in that work. And so everything seems to get bigger to me. And I think... These were the things that were on the mind of the king who penned Psalm 72. The purposes, the promises, the plans of God in the present and the part that the king might play, and then the purposes and plans of God in the future, even to the reign of the promised Messiah who would come from David's throne. And this psalm from a king would have its ultimate fulfillment in the king of kings. David's greatest son. So as followers, we're called to care about the eternal purposes and promises and plans of God. We're called to serve in them. We're called to pray and praise God as we consider this, all the amazing promises he made starting with the very beginning of time and all that's going to happen, the fruition of his goodwill. That is what we're called to do. So this psalm has its beginning in 2 Samuel 7. This is where David is settled in his cedar palace. The Lord has given him rest from his enemies. And David is troubled. He wants to build a home for God. They have the ark of God, which was the presence of God. And David's looking in a cedar palace saying, this is not right. I want to build something for God. But that night when he went to sleep, God spoke to the prophet Nathan. You've been hearing about him. And he told David to say these words. I'm just going to read them. If you want to look, they're in 2 Samuel 7, 9. 
God says to Nathan, Tell David, I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that he will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. My love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, David. Your throne will be established forever. God had divinely appointed David and his descendants to build a kingdom that was unique from any other kingdom, a kingdom under the one true God. And that would rule Israel and endure forever. And we see in those scriptures, Solomon has a role to play in that. He's the one to build a temple for God. He is the one to carry on the great name of David. He is the one to go to God like a son goes to his father. And if Solomon would do all these things, he would be keeping before the nation of Israel ever alive the promises the purposes, the plans of Yahweh, their God. We can hear how David responded to these incredible words from God in 2 Samuel, verse 7 again, in verse 22, chapter 7, 22. I pulled my bookmark out. David says, How great you are, O sovereign Lord! There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard from our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people? You've established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, God, keep forever the promise you've made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Not for personal reasons, but so that the name of God would be great forever. So men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. When we read these passages, we see what really lived in David's heart. We see what David really cared about. And he passed these passions on to Solomon before he died, and that is on your verse sheet, 1 Kings. You read this in your homework. David said to Solomon, Be strong. Show yourself a man. Observe what the Lord requires. Walk in his ways. Keep his decrees and commands, as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel." 
When we combine those passages from David on your outline, here's what we learn. David cared about God's name. David cared about God's ways. David cared about God's people. David cared about God's promises. And so Psalm 72 could be the prayer of a father for his divinely appointed son to rule in the ways of God in these things that David cared about. And this would be the last prayer in book two of Psalms, the last prayer of David. Or this could be the prayer of the divinely appointed son himself. He's both the king and the royal son after his father's death. Look at verse 1 on uh, Psalm 72. It says, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. And probably royal son and king are one in the same person. So it could have been that Solomon took all the earlier prayers of David and the other writers of book two, and then he added his own prayer onto the end as he would continue this dynasty uh, through his father, this divine dynasty. He's making his father's cares his very own. And I put on your outline, Solomon cared enough to teach the nation to pray for the realization of the divinely appointed destiny of his father David's house. I think it would be so easy for that nation to give in to the temptation to just go about their business to go about their business and not be about God's business. That's a temptation we face every morning when we wake up. But on your outline, we are called to care about everything that God cares about. Look at Colossians 1. Live a life worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of the Lord, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. We used to live for ourselves. It made sense. We didn't know any better. But now that we know God, we live for God. Every day, we live for God, caring about what God cares about. The gospel, the needy, each other, the word, missions, evangelism, his name. And when we care about these things, we'll find that we're praying more, we're serving more, and we're worshiping more. I happened to be standing one time a few years ago next to a group of men that were talking about heaven. And one of them I heard say to the other ones, I can't wait to go to heaven because I'm going to golf every day, all day. And my heart sort of sank when he said that because I thought, wow, you're missing the point. That's not what heaven's going to be about. Whether we're in heaven or on earth, our hearts should be beating strongly, not just for things that we like, that we need, that we want, even for the things we think our family needs and wants, our heart should be beating strongly for the things of God. And that's what heaven's going to be about. When we get there, it's not going to be about golfing. 
It's not going to be about those things. And we will be glad that it isn't. It's going to be about God's business, worshiping our Savior and being a part of his kingdom. Two things God cares about. We need to as well our justice and righteousness. You all know Micah 6, 8. What does God require of us but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God? The king realizes it's his calling to uphold these godly attributes. So let's look at uh, Psalm 72, verse 1 again. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. The right to reign would be transmitted from David to Solomon, but we can't forget Israel was a theocracy. All of Israel's kings were under submission to who? The one true king. And so this prayer is so great because... It's a proclamation from a king, but it doesn't begin like any other pagan nation kings would begin a proclamation. It begins with a petition to the great king. That's what Israel was to be about. And so the king says, God, I need your divine wisdom to rule well. Endow me with your justice and your righteousness. He wants God's justice God's righteousness, because he's sharp enough to know man's is flawed. Man's falls short. So I'm beseeching God here. So this king would rule unlike any other king, because he'd be ruling under the wisdom that comes from God alone. In verse 1, we see his prayer. He's asking for these things. In verse 2, we see the answer to prayer. I will judge righteously. I will have justice. The king reigns righteously. Look at verse 3. The mountains will bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. Now, in these verses, the mountains, they stand for the large kingdoms. And the hills for the smaller ones. So together they represent all the lands of Israel. And really verse 3, the better interpretation is let the mountains bring peace. I read a lot that the word prosperity is really better defined as peace. So when righteousness and justice are ruling a nation, the result is an abundance of peace in a nation. And, And we picture it here like fruit growing, just plentiful and abundantly. Those who are needy, it says, will be saved. Those who are oppressed and who oppress the needy, they will be punished. And I think that's a picture of righteousness. It's always about rewarding those who walk in the ways of God and punishing those who rebel against who God is and God's ways. That's a part of righteousness. Uh, Years ago, my daughter Cassie was in a school, an elementary school, and we had this worst year. It kind of drove me crazy. Um, We were living across town at that time. And she had a school where there was one child that was oppressing the teachers, the students, everyone in the classroom. 
And so when Cassie would come home from school, I'd say, so how was lunch today? And she'd say, oh, our class didn't get to go. We're the bad class. Why are you the bad class? Because of this one child in our class. And I'm like, okay, so how is the assembly? We don't go to assemblies. We're the bad class. And I began to realize because of one child's uh, sins, the whole class was being punished. And it bothered me so much because that was not teaching the kids about the righteousness of God. And so I went up to the school, and we had a fun little talk, and he kind of thought I was crazy and uh, didn't do a thing about it. So that was our fun year. And I said to this man, don't you have, like, detention hall when there's a child who's being disobedient? Don't you have, oh, yes, but we don't want to use that. We think the peer pressure in the classroom will change that child. Okay, we waited a year for that child to give in to the peer pressure of the class. He had the opportunity to teach what righteousness really is. When you walk as God called you to walk, there are rewards for that. And when you rebel, there are punishments so that you can grow. I think that poor child was done a disservice because he would have learned what it means to walk in righteousness, and it would have changed him as well. So that just is uh, was a sad year for her. It, it reminded me also of my son. When he was probably only like three or four, and just such a good little toe-headed, wonderful guy, big blue eyes, we were at a store, and he saw this brush. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those brushes that you open, and then the bristles come out. Now, now he's like sort of my inventor and my creative guy. So he was like <laughs> doing that in the store for a long time. Mommy, I, I want to buy this. No, we're not going to get that for you. It's a brush. So <laughs> he left it. About like two months at least went by. And I was in his bedroom putting some toys in his cupboard. Open the cupboard. The brush <laughs> is sitting on a shelf. He wasn't sharp enough to hide the brush. I call him in. I say, what's the brush doing on the shelf? He said, I wanted the brush. (laughs) Now, the brush probably cost about two bucks. And two months had gone by. And we could have just slapped his hand and moved on. But we thought, we really want to teach him about righteous ways, the ways of God. And so we said to this Little guy who was pretty shy at the time. You know, we're going back to that store with the brush. And you get to ask them to forgive you and go to the counter. And he was always not wanting to go to counters for anything. And it was like it was a relief to him. And I remember going to the store, getting in line, and then we just took a step back. And little Tyler went to the counter and set that brush down and said, I stole this brush from you. And I was just hoping we'd have a neat uh, cashier, and we did. Um, He only went to jail for a couple of days. (laughs) But, no, she was great because she said, whoa, that was wrong. And I wanted her to say that. And then she asked him if he would ever do that again, and he said he wouldn't, and he was sorry. And it was a great time to learn about righteousness. 
God's kingdom will reward those who choose to follow him. That's his plan. And then the king of kings will reign righteously. I mentioned that this psalm focuses on the future. It's a prophetic psalm. We don't want to ignore all the messianic references in this psalm, which covers the whole psalm. In fact, one man said this, This psalm may be ascribed to Solomon, but a greater than Solomon is here, the Messiah whom both David and Solomon foreshadowed. No earthly king ever reigned in perfection, No earthly king ever will. Even the author says that. Look at verse 18. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. And so these passages point beyond itself to its fulfillment in the great fulfiller, Jesus Christ. So look back at verse 1 with me again. Endow the king with your justice, O God the royal son with your righteousness, right off the bat, we can see Jesus in those verses. He was both king and king's son. He had authority to be king, but he also had the royal dignity to be called God's son. And he will judge the nations in righteousness when he returns to reign. And most of these verses, they're talking about the millennial kingdom. This is um, after the tribulation when Christ will reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. This is before the new heaven and the new earth. And he will be the righteous ruler. Isaiah 9-7 tells us on your verse sheet. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. And he will crush those who oppress the needy. Look at the next verse. You have shattered the yokes that burden them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Spurgeon says this about this reign of Christ. What a consolation to feel that none can suffer wrong in Christ's kingdom. He sits upon his throne, unspotted by a single deed of injustice or by any mistake of judgment. And I have to say, people of other faiths do not have that assurance. They are afraid to meet their maker. They are afraid to see what eternity will look like. And also, eternity for a lot of other faiths is again all about them. It is about golfing all day. It's about how people will bow down to them and they'll have their own servants. No, they don't get to face an eternity like we do, knowing we can trust Jesus today. We can trust Jesus when we live with him through all eternity. Because he is righteous and just. I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee, trusting thee for full salvation, great and free. I am trusting thee for pardon. So at thy feet bow for thy grace and tender mercy, trusting now. I am trusting thee for cleansing in the crimson flood, trusting thee to make me holy by thy blood. I am trusting thee to guide me. Thou alone shalt lead every day and hour supplying all my need. I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus. 
Never let me fall. I am trusting thee forever and for all. Even when we live with him in eternity, he will reign in righteousness and in great justice. And then the king's reign endures. Look at verse 5. He will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. He will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, the righteous will flourish. Prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. Okay, look back up at verse 5, and I read this a lot. Here's the better translation. It says, let them fear thee. While the sun endures and the moon endures through all generations. And what that means is this. When the king is righteous, it will turn the people into people who fear God. People who look up because they know, hey, this could not happen by our strength and power. They will fear God and they will revere him throughout eternity because they realize these kind of gifts can only come from above. And that will mean as long as the sun and moon endure, that means uninterrupted continuance. And the king will bless the nation like plentiful showers on the eastern land. And did you notice that the fields are mown in verse 6? That's because they're always producing. They're so abundant. They're having to grow from these blessings that fall from God, and then they cut it down, and then they grow again. And this means it's a fruitful place. In David's last living words, he talks about this. Look on your verse sheet at 2 Samuel 23. The God of Israel spoke, When one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, He is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. And then verse 7 really also says, An abundance of peace till the moon is no more. And that's our picture again, that a righteous king uh, covers a nation with peace like waters falling. Sort of like the song, I've got peace like a river. That's what a nation is like under a righteous king. And then the king of kings reign will endure forever. These verses talk about we will hold the name of God high throughout all eternity. Uh, Years ago, my mom uh, and dad did not know the Lord my first few years of life. Well, most of my half my life. And so we would have talks now and then if they would let me uh, talk with them. And I can remember being in my mom's kitchen in Illinois, and we were drying dishes, and God had started working on her heart. And she just didn't want to exclude anybody. You know, she just thought, how can you say this is the only way, you know. And so she was saying something like that to me, don't negate other people's beliefs. And I said, finally, I remember having the dish towel out, drying a cup, and I said, you know, Mom, Okay, but one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. They can believe what they want right now, but the fact of the matter is that is the truth. And his reign will endure. Look at Psalm 102. Uh, In the beginning... 
You lay the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. You remain the same, and your years will never end. And God's reign will continue not just as long as the sun and moon endure. God's reign will continue when the sun and moon are no more. Look at Revelation 22. The throne of God. And of the Lamb of God will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Even after the sun and moon are gone as we know them today, God's reign will continue. Revelation 21 also tells us this. I didn't put it on your verse sheet. That eternity will have a city that doesn't need the sun or the moon, for the glory of God has illuminated it. And the lamp is the lamb. That's how long God will reign. And it will, his reign will revive the world like showers do the grass. On your verse sheet, Psalm 65, you care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. There will be righteous that flourish. Peace will abound because he is the prince of peace. From the beginning of time, that was his name. The prince of peace. Look at Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a son is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Look back up to Isaiah 9. It's your third verse. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And then the king's reign is universal. Look at verse 8. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. Now we know these verses won't be fulfilled until Jesus reigns, but we can also consider these verses when it relates to the earthly king. And these are the outermost fringes of the territory that God in the book of Genesis said would be Israel's territory. This is an area south of Gaza to the Mediterranean Sea, to the Euphrates River. And we can look on a map and go, that wasn't really huge. For Solomon, it was beyond his imagination where those lands could be. In fact, the two most distant lands any of the Israelites could think of, Tarshish, which would be Spain, and Sheba, which would be southern Arabia. Seba would be northern Africa. And in this prayer, they are saying that one day, even nations that far away will come and worship and understand the greatness of God in the nation of Israel and come and bring gifts to that king. And you all know the fact that the queen of Sheba did one day arrive with her gifts and with her mouth dropping open as she looked at the abundance 
the abundance of peace that was there because of God's reign. Look at 1 Kings 4. It tells us a little about Solomon's reign. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all of his life. But the king of kings will reign over all. Uh, Solomon's words here provide a backdrop for what the Messiah's reign will look like. And I couldn't help but think when he talks here about people will bring gifts. That's how Jesus came into the world. The very first thing that happened after he's born is he's in this sort of a cave-like place. And not long afterwards, kings come bearing gifts because he is the one who will reign. He is the king of kings. I put in my Christmas card this year part of a poem from George MacDonald, and I like it, and it says this. Babe Jesus lay in Mary's lap, the sun upon his hair, and that is how she saw, perhaps, the crown already there. Already there, born to be worshipped. And the kings came and paid tribute. And then it tells us in these verses that the kings of Tarshish and the other isles will come and pay tribute. And I believe those are the nations during the millennium that will come and bow down and recognize who Jesus Christ really is. Look at Isaiah 61 um, through 3. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to his light, and kings to the brightness of his dawn. And Jesus' borders will only start in these borders we just read about in Israel. He'll be reigning from Jerusalem, but these words will be fulfilled that it will go from sea to sea, over all the earth. Look at Micah. It was before the Isaiah verse. But you, Bethlehem, out of you will come for me one who be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. In fact, turn with me. Put your finger in Psalm 72. Turn with me to Psalm 22 real quick. I'm sure Shelley probably covered this uh, last week, but I want to look at this. Here's another prediction about Christ's reign. 22:27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will down, bow down before him, For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Not only um, do we see these kings coming to him, we also see the enemies. And we see the desert tribes that really have no home all paying tribute and coming down, and even in that prophecy in Psalm 22. And then the, re- the king will reign in compassion. Look at verse 12. 
He will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. When a king rules with compassion, that is also when we see peace and prosperity. And if you think about watching the, the 530 News and you see these nations that are in huge trouble, what kind of ruler do they have? A compassionate ruler? They have selfish rulers. They have cruel rulers. And the people suffer because of it. These verses are about the rule that comes from a compassionate king. And there's prosperity and peace that abounds. And in this verse that I read about um, precious is the blood of those who have been oppressed. Some people see that they're talking about Jesus here. And that it's the blood Jesus shed for us, and that's why it's precious. And so we can know that as the king of kings, any shed blood on earth, it's precious to Jesus because he shed his blood for us. The king of kings reigns in compassion. Look at Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Okay, we get this picture of the compassionate reign of Christ here. When it says, a bruised reed... He will not break. Those who are hurting, he will not be hard on. A smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Those who are needy, he will not be hard on. He will be a ruler of compassion. And all we have to do is look at how Jesus lived to get a feel for what that's going to be like. How he reached out to the hurting. How he cared about the lost how he embraced the outcasts, how he forgave the sinner, and how he pursued you. That's the love of the king of kings. The earthly king in our psalm today stands back. He's considering the covenant of God, the promises, the future, the glory of God then and tomorrow, and then he rolled up his sleeves And he got to work. And that's our example today. That's our job as well. Because until Christ reigns over this earth, he reigns through those who love him. That's our job as well. Philippians 1. Paul is speaking to the church and he says, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We are partners on your outline. We are called to serve God by joining him in his kingdom work. Passing the promises of God to the next generation. Caring about the needy. Demonstrating his compassion. Testifying to who he is through our righteousness and our integrity giving to his cause with our finances and our energy and our actions. 
Look at verse 16. We're going to see our call to pray and praise. 15. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Let grain abound throughout the land and the tops of the hills may it sway. Let its fruit flourish like Lebanon. Let it thrive like the grass of the field. We are called to pray for the king's work to continue through our leaders. This says here, pray for the king. Let the people pray for the king. So that can be your spiritual leaders. And that most certainly means our government. Anyone that God's put in authority, that's one of the things we're praying for, that the will and the cause and the purposes of God would be done through those leaders that are in our lives. The result, again, we see is great abundance in prosperity. I love that physical picture. Um, I don't know if you like cedar trees, if you have allergies, but Lebanon was known to be a picture of abundance. Giant trees. And when the wind hit, they would move like this in the wind, that green color. And these verses tell us that's what the crops are going to look like, that tall, reaching up to the heavens. Probably they're talking about corn here. We can picture those tall corn stalks just swaying in the breeze. And then we are called on your outline to pray for the king's cause his kingdom, and his glory. His cause, his kingdom, and his glory. Let's see that in verse 17. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds, Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. So we are supposed to be praying for the righteous kingdom to come. We are to be praying that these eternal blessings will come and that the whole earth will be filled with his glory. And we can be praying that right now, that he would be being glorified and that all nations will know him. These can be our prayers. And on your outline, we are called to praise our King daily with a grateful heart, a giving heart, and a loving heart. Can you imagine that from the beginning of time, God had these incredible plans for mankind And you and I get to be a part of it. It is an amazing reality. And because of that, we come to him in praise. Our hearts are grateful, like the servant who approached their king with blessings of gold. We just read that. We approach our king because we have those grateful hearts. Like this servant who brings the king their gold, we give the best that we have to give to God, ourselves and all our prized possessions. And like this servant that brings blessing and gifts to God, we do it out of our deep love for God, not out of a sense of obligation. 
Um, there's an incredible song. You probably all know it. But this is why we praise him, that we're a part of these plans. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart, and I know that while he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace, one with himself. I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood, and so my life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior, and my God. And so we pour our praise on him gratefully, abundantly. There's a great song about Mary and pouring that oil over Jesus. I don't know if any of you listen to Cece Winan. She's a Christian singer. She has this great song. And she says, I come to pour my praise on him like like the oil from Mary's alabaster jar. And you just picture that is what these verses are about. We have a place in the heart of Christ. And we come to him and pour our praise over all he's done for us. And when he returns to reign, the whole earth will be filled with his glory. Look at Revelation 11. There were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you've taken your great power and you have begun to reign. And Jesus says in the next verse, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches because I am the root and the offspring of David. Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, King Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we humbly bow before you for your mightiness, your mighty plans, and yet that you love us individually in a mighty way. We give you all praise and glory, and we cannot wait for the day when all nations will bow and call you Lord. We love you for these promises. In Jesus' name, amen.